think um, I was I was getting asked a lot of questions today in the past couple of days about the state of the country and uh, concerns over Ebola, concerns over um, ISIS, concerns over our border. So many things, so many things are going on. I mean, the list is very, very long. And never, I don't think, uh, in in the, my history that I really recall, do I recall as many quite terrifying events. Yeah, raise your hand if you're overwhelmed. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, everybody. Everybody right now says, I don't want to hear another bad thing. I don't want to, I can't handle another bad thing. Um, it's, uh, I, I have to say, you know, I get hit with this all the time, and, and, and it's usually followed up with, do you have any solutions? You know, you're really good at telling us all about how bad it is and telling us stuff that we wish we didn't know. I have a solution, H2O2, baby. Loving that. Thanks to Wes. That's a thing. We'll talk about it after. Um, but what do I really, you know, what what is what is the first solution that I arrive at, and I thought about it, and you know, Monday's show, tomorrow's radio show, God and Country, The Collision of Faith and Politics, that show is growing, and I only have, I, I don't know why it is, I can only say that it's people are hungry for the unabashed, uncensored truth. And we try to present solutions every week. Uh, tomorrow is going to be a very unique show, I'll just tell you that. And um, it's going to be very dynamic and kind of in your face a little bit. But it's going to present some real solutions anybody here can do. Anybody can do. So I said to uh, several of the people, I did a group email response, just so I didn't have to retype it, type it, type it. So I just kept putting the email address in, and I don't know how many were in there. Uh, and I said, listen, here's what I would say to you. Listen to tonight's sermon, uh, and, and you're going to have the first in a series of answers. And that is, what have I learned about prayer? Because I think it starts and stops with prayer. Uh, it, 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 um, it's deeply connected to our relationship with God. Prayer and Scripture. Critical. Just absolutely critical. It's just such a big thing. And I, I thought, you know, what better way to address that group of people, and I guess essentially to address you guys, is to talk about my experience and what I've learned about prayer. It's a humbling thing. And so I thought I would do that. What do I really know about prayer? Uh, I can tell you, I think I've been praying. I have a distinct memory at 1968. I, I think I was three years old. I remember praying at three years old. I remember my mom Praying. I remember my mom teaching me to pray. And I've confirmed this with her. She says, yeah, you, you did. You were a weird kid. Really strange child. But I was taught that prayer is the highest honor uh, I could ever enact in my life. Prayer was the greatest gift I could ever have. No matter what happened in my life, prayer was it. And it really wasn't prayer. The gift of prayer wasn't through my doing, but through Christ. Uh, the, the, the gift that I got through Christ in prayer. My mom was always careful to remind me 
that this was not necessarily what we're to pray verbatim. I'm going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. You're going to hear it two different ways. Um, it wasn't so much about the words to pray, but it was really about how to pray. Uh, the structure of prayer and, and the kind of the way it goes, the model of prayer, what I should emulate when I'm praying. And she emphasized first to acknowledge, and I think everybody would agree this is a huge thing. She said first, you've got to acknowledge the God to whom you are praying. And, and put him, uh, not that he needs our help to be put into a proper place, but to acknowledge him as the God, the one God who hears and cares about our prayers. And he's to be honored and revered above all. He is the creator of all of this. All other God's small g are simply manifestations of man's imagination. When I saw my mother pray, I observed uh, right up front, it was easy to see, a great reverence for God. My mother indicated that I was uh, to acquiesce to the will of God. I talk about a lot, I talk about, uh, my thing is Hebrew worldview, uh, Hebrew language, worldview, and culture. Um, and, I, and, and in talking about that, I say that, listen, you know, the Jewish way of praying isn't for stuff or more stuff or fix this, fix that. It is for contentment with his will. It's just a simple, uh, Father, let me be content with what your will is. Uh, and where you lead, I will follow. Um, no matter what. And so my mom, that was her big thing. And I saw her. I observed my own mother's acquiescence to the will of God from her knees. Now, she's really small, and so it wasn't far for her to get on her knees. But you know what? She, she a uh, hardworking woman. Uh, she, you know, she ran a little cleaning business, which she was, and I on occasion was an employee. But for the, for the most part, she did, not at three, of course, it's child labor laws, even back then. Um, so, but she would have if I was any good at cleaning, let me tell you. But uh, I learned early to pray and to work hard. But uh, she, but she would get on her knees and and uh, really private, in a very private way, and she lived her life as a literal demonstration of full and complete surrender to God. And she emphasized one thing that I I think is powerful to em emphasize to you because it really impacted me, and that is forgiveness in order to be forgiven. Asking for, for provision, protect us from temptation, and protections from evil were all themes. They were all themes. It was all part of my mom's prayers. And it was in every prayer, no matter what. Always, Father, allow me to forgive so that I may be, might be forgiven. Allow me provision, whatever provision you see fit, so that I might provide for others. Protect me from temptation and protect me from evil. Always in every prayer. I don't know how she did it. She always found a way. Matthew 6, 9 through 15 in the New American Standard. Pray then in this way, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. In Hebrew, that prayer goes a little bit like this. Avinu shabashamayim, yitcharesh shemecha, tavo machokhlekte ye ase soneka, baaretz ka'arsher na'asa vashamayim, ten lanu hayum lachem shuneu, olak u salach lanu et ash mateneu, ka'asher solachem anachu la'asher ash molano, vel ve al Tevienu lide masa, keim hatsilenu minhara, kelacha hamam lacha, vahag evra vehet tiferet la oleme o lamin. Amen. Can you imagine? I, I have recording after recording of that being read almost as a song in Hebrew uh, by some of the greatest. Um, uh, Jewish speakers of all time. Uh, it's just a treasure. I keep it in a box, a special box. And all it really is is a really fancy flash drive thing that you stick into the into your computer and then it starts to play. It's just absolutely amazing. Leave it to the Jews. Um, but when you hear that, it gets you at your soul. Because you know when you look back, you allow yourself... You allow your mind to take a journey back to when they prayed in this way. Because remember it says, Yeshua said, pray then in this way. He doesn't say pray these words. He says pray then in this way. It's interesting. What a lesson that is, but so beautiful. You see, this is my high definition recollection of those and many other events demonstrating an enviable faith and relationship with God. You see, if your faith isn't enviable, and it's not an actual connection to God, if people don't see that enviable and, and distinct connection to God, then your faith is too easily seen as fake. It's too easy to see it as fake. Um, you know, this for her was the God with whom she communicated daily. This was the God that she went to sleep talking to, she woke up talking to, and throughout the day, she talked to and she listened to God. Not in a weird sort of way. Uh, sometimes you wouldn't know that she was even praying, because she'd be washing dishes and praying. And you would say something to her, and she had excellent hearing. Believe you me, she could hear anything. Uh, she, but if she took a bit to answer, you knew probably she was praying. Or she was just totally sick of, my 1,000 questions per hour. The prayer life that makes one envious of one's uh, one praying is the prayer life that changes motivations. Let me say that again. If your pr your prayer life, if it makes another person envious of the one praying, then that is the prayer life that changes motivations. You might say. Don't you mean the prayer life that changes things, that changes, prayer changes things, prayer changes everything? You've heard those little church sayings, prayer changes, those little bumper stickers and all that, bumper sticker theology. 
But I'm talking about the prayer life that makes one envious such that it, it changes motivations. Prayer has to first change why we're praying and our intent behind our prayer. You see, so many of us pray in such a way that it's a list of God give me. We're taught in Western evangelical, uh, you know, in the whole Western evangelical theology, if you want to call that, that it's really Christmas every day, that God wants to give you stuff and he wants to give you all these things and, and, and all these blessings. He wants to do it. He's just waiting for you to ask him. What's the motivation behind why you're praying? Because you know what? He, he knows fakes when he hears it. I always have to laugh when I hear someone, you know, I have a conversation and I, I signed a Bible of a person that I really respect. Uh, he asked me to autograph his Bible. I don't know why, but he did. And, uh, and he asked me to evaluate his preaching for him. And I said, are you sure? And, uh, well, I'll just give you an example. Hey, man, would you mind listening to my sermons? I, uh, I, I don't know what's going on, man. People just aren't responding. I don't know why. I just don't know why. I said, okay, send me some of your sermons. I'll be glad to listen to them. And if you really want to know my impression, doesn't mean I'm right, but just aren't my impression. Uh, you know, yeah, okay, if you're up for that. Man, that'd be awesome. That's great. Thank you. And, and then so then he gets in front of a congregation. And he prays, Lord, Father, we beseech your love. We beseech your guidance. You know, come on. Very well educated, very intelligent. But God knows the voice in which you speak. He knows the voice in which you think. He knows the voice in which the connection of the heart and mind speaks. And so if you speak in a voice, an unauthentic voice, who really are you trying to impress? So I say that to say this, that our voice comes out here, but it also comes out here. It never has to go to here really for God to hear. So be authentic in your prayer. So a, a good prayer life changes motivations. And I saw that in my own life. My mother's prayer life was just such a life. Though she didn't... Ex now, I'm just going to say this. Uh, I'm glad she doesn't have the Internet or a computer or any means at all to listen to this because she's very embarrassed of this, but I don't think she should be based on the fact that she's very self-taught, very self-educated, very intelligent woman at 84 years old, still reads three or four books a month. Uh, she, she's a, a vigorous reader. And let me say that my mom didn't go past the 10th grade. She had an illness. This is going to shock you, but for two years she had to sleep standing up. She was strapped to a board. She had a back problem, and she had to sleep standing up. So clearly she couldn't go to school. Sleep was a really major challenge for her. And so, um, you know, she's, you know, that's, that's just the facts. I mean, that was, that was the facts. But even though she didn't go past the 10th grade, this very busy mother of five, five children, wife of an unsaved man who worked two hours away. We lived in Lewis, Delaware, Love Creek, actually, off of Route 24. We lived there, and my dad worked at Marcus Hook, Pennsylvania, and lived up here in Claymont five days a week, and would come home on Saturday and leave to go back to work on Sunday. He had a place up here, too. So that's just how it was. That was just what, what the deal was. So she was a really, really busy lady. Um, but despite all of that, she completed two years of formal Bible college. Her, her diploma hangs on her wall very proudly. I'm very proud to have many of her papers that she wrote. 
hand wrote. I might add, with beautiful handwriting, impressive. To achieve this in spite of tremendous obstacles in her life is a product of a life of faith, fed by daily visits with the Master. I recall wondering how she did all that she did with such excellence. You see, my mom didn't just have to take care of her own five children, an unsaved husband, cook and clean an old farmhouse, and I mean old farmhouse, still this day doesn't have any insulation in it, clean other people's homes, and attend Bible college 40 minutes away by car, which, let me just say this, it was almost always dark when she drove there and almost always dark when she came home, and the only reason she got a driver's license was when she got pregnant with me. She didn't have a driver's license. She didn't want to drive a car. She hated to drive, but three nights a week for two years, she drove to Georgetown, Delaware from Love Creek to go to Bible college. One of the ladies from church, uh, from the church we attended, was involved in a horrible automobile crash, which left her in the hospital for several months. Now, she had a family. This dear lady also had an unsaved husband and several small children to care for. Now, I don't remember how many kids it was, but I know it was more than three. I think it was four. My mother took the mission. Nobody asked her to do this. Nobody, nobody forced her to do this. And frankly, nobody knew she did this. She took the mission of preparing us for school, driving those folks to and from their home, to school, wherever, wherever they had to go, cleaning and preparing their dinners at their home. Cleaning their home and preparing their dinners at their home. Uh, what she would do, she'd make the dinners and plate them and then put them in the fridge and then they could heat them up later. She had it all set up for them, all labeled and everything. Detailed instructions every single day. Then she went to clean houses for her own little business. She would clean up from that, and three days a week, she would drive to Landmark Bible College in Georgetown, Delaware, and she'd tote this little one with her. I was actually little once. I was really little. Tiny, in fact. Petite. For several hours, she would listen to these Bible teachers, whom she obviously held in high regard. Her assumption was that their level of scholarship, and rightly so, and Bible knowledge was unattainable for this petite mom with a pen. All she had was a pen and paper and a well-worn Bible. I submit to you this petite lady of grace, giant grace, work ethic, giant work ethic. She could outwork anybody, and everybody knew it. Diplomacy and humility was nearly, it was in what her fortress was, was an insurmountable fortress of prayer. She just prayed a lot. Her lessons on prayer, community with Christ, and unshaken trust in her God were a testimony even to those well-degreed scholars from whom she was taught. They would always marvel at this little woman. There are many ways which we, we can study prayer. I mean, there's you Google prayer, if you use the Google machine, you can Google prayer. Uh, you can learn about prayer from lots of different sources. You can learn about prayer. I prefer to look at it from a Hebrew perspective, uh, but obviously I'm, a, I'm addressing a, a mostly Western evangelical group, so we'll use some ones that are very widely approved in, in these circles. Uh, John Maxwell, he does a sermon on prayer. He does many, but um, his greatest sermon on prayer, I think, detailed the need to study the Word as a prerequisite to God honoring prayer. 
Now, I might say, you don't need a theolog- you don't need a doctorate in theology to pray beautifully. Remember those people, the Whartons I told you about? The black couple, the older black couples, thin as a rail, uh, lived in a one-room shack. Uh, let me tell you, they prayed. And they couldn't read. No, 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 this was Mr. and Mrs. Wharton, Stella and Richard Wharton, uh, lived in, I think, Ellendale. Uh, and they were praying people, man. You never, you never felt a connection to God like when you were with with them. It was just amazing. And they never got past, I don't think, the fourth grade. So it's not a degree. A degree doesn't get it done. A master's in theology, a doctorate in theology, all of these things, going to Bible, that doesn't get it done. That's not what drives it. Although you could learn things at those places that changes how you pray. What we know about prayer can come from multiple sources. The Holy Scriptures, various respected Christian authors. I'm not a guy that's against you reading uh, other Christian authors as long as they're not weird or, you know, off the walls. You know, that they're theologically sound. Uh, that they're, they're stable in their theology. They're not all over the place. And from prayer, you learn about prayer from prayer. But not just praying to God, but with God. Communicating with God. The more I pray, the more I'm confounded by the idea of prayer. It's the more I pray, the more I think, this is just amazing. Can you imagine getting to talk to God? Getting to listen to God? Why in the world would He want anything to do with me? But we have that through Yeshua HaMashiach, through His death, burial, and resurrection, we have that. We can talk with God. Amazing. Such an underutilized gift, don't you think? The answering of prayer is prominent in the title of my message. And, and uh, to you guys tonight, I, I the first few paragraphs that I related to you, um, I detailed the consistent example of my mom. And, and it was congruent with the Word of God. What is even more amazing, more miraculous than this petite little rock of faith, are the countless demonstrations of God's enduring engagement. His engaging with her. And I, what I believe is His enjoyment of a relationship with her. It makes, you know, the enjoyment of His communication with my mom. And it made me ask myself, does God enjoy talking with me? Or am I a pain in His butt? The way I know that he enjoyed her and enjoys her to this day because she's still alive is how he answered her prayers. Giant prayers. Mountain-moving prayers. Prayers to that little mind, my little mind, seemed unanswerable. To me, the things my mother was praying for just seemed impossible. How could it be? Mom, you're praying for giant things. Now, granted, I was three, four, five years old, you know, and I'm listening to her pray, and and even I know at that young age, whew, that's big stuff, Mom. That's really big stuff. But my mom never hesitated to pray the big prayers. Never, not one time. Prayers that I would see other more scholarly men, uh, their brows, when they would hear her pray, Lord forbid you ever ask my mom to pray, uh, because you get a prayer. And... You'd see them, because I always peeked. I would peek and watch what they were doing. Uh, you'd see them, you know, she'd pray certain things. Mm, you'd see them. Mm. 
Oh, I wish she hadn't said that. I wish she hadn't have prayed that. But she prayed with such expectation that God would indeed move the mountain. My mother would pray the impossible, and time and time again, God delivered. Time and time again, the mountain moved. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite writers, he reveals that prayer raises my sight beyond the petty, or as in Job's case, dire circumstances of daily life to afford a glimpse of that lofty perspective. I realize my tininess and God's vastness and the true relation of the two. In God's presence, I feel small because I am small. This was my mother's example to me, my tininess before the vast God, first and foremost, and the honor of communicating with such a God. I never thought of my mother's prayers as being embarrassing, for this is what I saw on a regular basis. This is what I experienced. I grew up hearing prayer to a big God. I grew up hearing prayer of expectation. I grew up hearing not a person demanding God. How petulant are we sometimes? I hear some of these preachers pray, uh, commanding God to answer them. Commanding, you said in your word, and you have to keep your word because you said your word, and you said you do it, so we're keeping you to it. You don't have to keep God to nothing. He handles that all by himself, just like a lion. You do not have to teach a lion that he's fierce. He... He doesn't have to convince you that he's fierce. He'll handle that. And he doesn't even have to talk. In contrast to my father. Now see, I saw all these things, these amazing prayers. But I saw this in contrast to my father. Prior to placing his faith in Christ, he would curse the air as he struggled against life. He cursed the air as he struggled against the day of struggles and uh, blessings. You know, were all around him, but he never saw them. But he would later realize that when he placed his faith in Christ. My father would emit the, uh, emit the anger born of his unattenuated childhood, the struggles that he had in every direction of his life. They evoked desire. They upset him. He was seemingly always, except when he was intoxicated, always in a state of anger, always in a state of impatience. At the same time, my mother would just simply pray, she wouldn't make a big deal of it. She wouldn't be showy about it. She'd just pray. <laughs> she would pray as she moved about her busy day, no less frustrating. Her life was no less frustrating because she had to deal with five kids and a husband and all kinds of other stuff. It wasn't any less frustrating than my dad's life. My dad really had one, one thing to do, work, because that's what he did best, his work. You see, she had a far more peaceful life than my dad. My huge father, my little tiny mom, had this huge faith. And my huge father had this little tiny faith. But you see, my dad had tiny faith, but he wanted to have huge control over all the things of life. And you see, my mom never worried about that. The reason why is she knew by the by the Father above, her conversations daily throughout the day, he's got it all under control. To be sure, my father at that time lacked the faith to carry out his day with any level of grace that my mother had. That's fair to say. God rest his soul. He's gone now. But he would admit to that. What was the difference? I believe the primary difference was indeed the God-shaped hole 
than my father's heart. I believe that God-shaped hole wreaked havoc in his life. I think shortly after he would lose, you know, he would have a struggle, something would come up, and he'd, he'd be upset and nervous and, and all these things because of that God-shaped hole, and it would wreak havoc in his life, and it would rob him of his peace, and then right after it robbed him of his peace, that would follow with guilt and regret and confusion and sorrow and loneliness and unremitting grief. My mother knew how small she really was. In contrast, my dad always tried to be big enough to cover all the problems, all of the struggles. He tried to be bigger and stronger and tougher than all that stuff. All that stuff that wore him down. It was never sufficient for my father. Nothing at all. It never seemed to work for him to tough out the tough times without God. Never seemed to work for him. My mom, on the other hand, was very, very different. You know, my dad's been dead for several years, and I hear my mom pray, and she still prays those expectant prayers. She's very fearful now. Uh, I think as her body has changed, she's on oxygen 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She can't go anywhere with an oxygen, without an oxygen bottle. She lives by herself, by her own choice. She doesn't want to live with any of us. She wants to be independent until the day she dies. Uh, she wants to live life on her own terms. Frankly, she still goes outside with her little bottle, and she has a over two-acre yard, and she picks up sticks and twigs, and she bounce, and she picks up the walnuts from the walnut tree, and 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 she carries them down to the woods, and she still scrubs her windows with newspaper and vinegar and water, and and uh, she still does all this stuff, and and will scrub her walls. She even scrubs. She's 84. She's not supposed to do any of that, but she still does. But she's fearful. She's fearful of now with this Ebola, good land. She barely won't leave the house now. But, uh, you know, she's afraid to go to church because people cough and they, you know, she's got a very com compromised immune system. She's fearful for good reason. She has good reason to be concerned over her health. The other thing is, is she gets tired of the older folks. She doesn't go, she won't go to the, the senior center because she said all they do is complain about their kids and whine about how many medicines they take and talk about how this doctor offended them. And she said, I don't want any part in that. It's a bunch of old, old people. Said, well, your mom, you know, you're 84. You get to be an old people. She says, that's just not for me. But you see, my mom still does pray, expecting the presence of her promised God, her counselor and her friend. My father grew to love Jesus as best he could, but I don't know that he ever had that relationship with God. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he admired my mom's relationship with God. He envied that. Perhaps my father felt embarrassed to pray to an invisible God. And if I'm being honest, sometimes I feel a little embarrassed. As much as I pray, I still feel embarrassed. And I think if we're being honest, I don't want you to raise your hand and the people that are listening to this at home. I don't want you to, to feel the obligation to, to uh, you know, outwardly acknowledge this. But I know plenty of amazing Christians theological scholars, all of those things, that occasionally, in periods of darkness in their life, that dark period in their life, sometimes wonder, is God really listening to me? Do I matter a hill of beans to God? Yancey, Philip Yancey, he speaks of this. I tell you, if you ever get a chance to read a guy, Philip Yancey, what's, what's so amazing about grace? One of the most one one of the most wonderful books 
Uh, he does a book on prayer. He does a book on the life of Jesus. Uh, his, his writing is fantastic. He's really amazing. It says this, For this reason prayer may seem strange, even embarrassing. How odd that prayer seems foolish to some people who base their lives on media trends, superstition, instinct, hormones, social propriety, even astrology. For most of us, much of the time, prayer brings no certain confirmation that we've been heard. The realm of spirit, as Yancey states, seems much less real to us than it did to Adam. Well, how do we get back to real? I guess that's the question I said at the outset. I was all about, tonight I want to bring you solutions because everybody's stomach is eaten up. All of this stuff with the Obama administration and, and all of the military stuff that's going on and ISIS and, and Ebola and the southern border and the IRS and just all of these things. What is the solution? How do we get back to real? Because if we don't pray, we can say pray, 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 pray. But if your prayer is fake, you're wasting your breath. If you're praying without faith, you're praying into the air and no one is paying attention. Faith fuels prayer. And then prayer lifts and builds faith. It just works that way. Remember when I... I uh, I was talking about MacArthur, and he asked a good question. How do we get somewhere perhaps that we've never been? Maybe you've never had that kind of prayer experience. Maybe you've never had that kind of experience in life. So maybe you maybe you say, well, I've never been there. I don't know how to get there. I don't know what to do. Dr. MacArthur's treatise on the purpose of prayer, and that's what it's, it's called, is the purpose of prayer, clearly states the root of a relevant prayer life is a relentless study of God's Word. It starts with a fervent hunger and thirst after righteousness. And how many of you were here for my Jesus Who series, The Man on the Mountain, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those, or what do we, do we remember? Lucky are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. My question of myself often is, how hungry am I? I have to ask myself all the time, how hungry, how thirsty am I? How much am I craving that communication and relationship and communication, that, that connection with God. Or, as Western Evangelical, uh, the faith expression mostly now is, is what do I feel? What do I experience? What emotion wells up in me? When I hear good, um, this is why uh, worship, the worship team is so important now in churches. It's so important because psychologists have realized and, and church leaders have realized, man, if you don't get them in that emotional place in that 15 to 20 minutes of singing, worship singing, the preacher's going to have a hard time taking them to that place where they need to be. I would submit to you that's totally backwards. We should go to church not looking for an experience, but an extension of relationship and getting in relationship with and in community with those around us who are also seeking community and connection with God. Roger Steer uh, refers to Muller. You remember Muller? Uh, his conversion experience um, in, in which Muller said, All was laid down at the feet of Jesus. And I became a great lover of the Word of God. I found my all in God. To a great degree, I, I believe part of the earth-shaking prayer experience is earth-shaking faith. I do. I wish it was easier. I wish I could. Wish I had better news for you that 
just read this book or listen to this sermon a hundred times uh, or, or stand on one foot or hop to the end of the aisle, whatever. I wish there was something. I wish there was some magic potion, but it's not. It's not about that. It's, it's prayer is fueled by earth-shaking faith. And earth-shaking faith is the child of earth-shaking prayer. Not a simple, well, you know, a well-articulated, remember I kind of made fun of my friend, but I wasn't really making fun of him. Uh, He learned that in seminary. So that's how all the seminary professors prayed. And a lot of them would have deep southern accents, and then all of a sudden they'd start praying. They were this British Oxford graduate of some sort, you know. And and so I'm not saying this uh, well-articulated apologetic discourse on why you believe or what you may know of what I call solo scriptura, the, the, the one true word, scriptura, rather a heart-wrenching knowledge of the Word of God which divides our families. It says in the Scripture, families will be divided by this Word. Our interests, it divides our interests even. It pits us at, what am I going to do? This fun thing? Or am I going to go to church? Am I going to do this fun thing? Or am I going to pray? Am I going to do this really fun thing? Or am I going to study God's Word? You know what else it divides? It divides our allegiances. Sometimes when you tell somebody, you know what, I can't be there at four. can't be there at four. It's much like following Torah. You know, if you're a Torah observant person, um, you have to tell people a lot, I'm sorry, I can't be there. I've got Shabbat. Uh, I, c- I can't be there. Uh, but I can be there the next day, or I could be there after, after sundown. But I just can't be there between these hours. Uh, or if you go somewhere and for dinner, and they forget to ask you, hey, do you have any dietary considerations? And you forget to say, as long as we're not having pork products, you know, I'm good to go. As long as we're not having crabs or shrimp or, you know, stuff like that, which would kill me. Uh, you know, and then you get there, and it's a big old ham steak with a big old pineapple on top, and nice pineapple gravy, and you know, and you're like, and they see you don't want to make a scene, right? Because you don't want to make them feel bad. They're like, you know, Wes, you're not eating your your ham. Why aren't you eating your ham? I see you've eaten copious amounts of green beans and potatoes and all of that, and my goodness, you're pounding that bread like it's going out of style. But why no ham? Yeah, I can't eat pork. Um, I'm Torah observant. You don't make a big deal out of it, but hey, man, you know, your allegiance, sometimes people look at you like you're nuts in the head about when you go somewhere. And if it's your policy to pray before you eat and it's not their policy, you're in a restaurant. Listen, I've been with Christians. I've been with pastors who don't pray in public before their meal because they say it's being pharisaical. You know who I'm talking about. He won't do it because it's being pharisaical. You're trying to draw attention to yourself. You're trying to make yourself better than somebody else. Yeah, divided allegiance. We cannot pray full out to God while still grasping hard to earth's chains. There are some decisions you're going to have to make, some things you're going to have to give up, if not temporarily, in order to have that connection, that create that, that connection, that powerful spiritual connection with God. There's some things you're going to have to put down 
or put away for a moment, if not forever. I don't know what those things I don't know what those things really are. I'm going to be honest with you. Everybody in their life, you we all we all have those things that really are interrupting our relationship with God. We don't want to admit it because quite frankly, we we don't want to give those things up. Uh, you guys know crabs, the last bastion of uh, you know, and, and who can argue bacon is good. It smells good. It's good in everything. You know, remember years ago, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade. They even came out with bacon flavored gum. Now, I didn't have any because it was disgusting. Uh, that's just a disgusting thought. And they had chocolate gum, too. And that was equally disgusting. And I love chocolate. It's hard for me to even say that. But see, there might be other things. This this big thing. I gotta be honest. Uh, this thing was softball, or not softball, baseball and soccer with the kids on Sundays. A friend of mine had a big, uh, big baseball tournament yesterday and today. And 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 they told their, um, they told their family, and the coach and some other people. Listen, uh, we can't be there. My son can't be there. He's got church. We the fastest we can get him there is by one. You think that went over well? He can't miss one Sunday? This is the playoffs. This is fall ball. In other words, his eternity was insignificant by comparison to fall ball. I don't know. We can't pray full out to God while grabbing these earthly things, these chains, because chains keep us attached to something. And if you've got to be chained to it, it's not good. We can't ascend into God's palace of prayer unless we unleash, I talked about this last week, unhinging your feet. Even for a moment, the bonds of this world, unleash yourself from those. You see, the meeting that we're seeking through intense prayer with God, it's not of this world. And people of this world aren't going to understand it. What we seek is not of this world. It's of the heavenlies. And you can't expect your neighbor or your friend or your sister or your brother to understand. Henry Nouwen, I don't know if any of you have ever read any of Henry Nouwen. He's, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's an interesting guy. The way he thinks is... is and and, and um, he gave this example of St. Anthony... During these years, Anthony experienced a terrible trial. The shell of iniquity was open to him, but he came out of this trial victoriously, not because of his own willpower or ascetic exploits, but because of his unconditional surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Perhaps this, too, is a linchpin to successful prayer. In fact, I would say not even perhaps. I would say yes, it is. It obviously is. To yield... Uh, I Surrender All. Who knows that hymn? I Surrender All. Beautiful, beautiful hymn. Powerful hymn. I Surrender All. What an amazing concept. An amazing concept. To yield the willpower of Christ is to yield the microphone of life. You see, we all want the microphone. Perhaps we do not have more answers to prayer 
this might be you, I know it's me. Because in our chattered prayers, we fail to relinquish the microphone long enough to actually hear God talking into the microphone. We say, no, I want it. I want it. And he's not grabbing for the microphone. He's saying, if at any point you find the need to hand me the microphone and put your earphones on and realize you need the microphone a lot less than you think you do, I'll speak to you and it'll come through very clear. We don't actually hear the voice of God because we won't hand the microphone back. Henry Nowen further convicts me to understand that my heart condition might well wall in my ability to pray prayers worthy of hearing, let alone answering. I ask myself, where's my heart toward my brother or my sister or my neighbor? You see, if I'm all bound up with unforgiveness, the prayers don't go anywhere. He's told us very clearly that. My heart condition, Henry Nowen uses that, uh, that term, that euphemism, your heart condition. What condition is your heart in? You have to ask yourself. You say, my prayers aren't going anywhere. I don't feel any connection. Maybe it's the problem isn't, oh, I tried prayer and it didn't work. Really? Maybe the problem is your heart. Solitude leads to the awareness of the dead person in our own house and keeps us from making judgments about other people's sins. In this way, real forgiveness becomes possible. That's now. Matthew 5, 7. We just did 5, 6. Blessed or lucky are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Don't you know prayer is a plea for mercy? We're hoping the mercy of God shines upon us to not only hear our plea, but to also answer our need. Why? Because we need it. This is only available to us. That answering prayer, that mercy that we so crave, it's only available to us if we have a forgiving heart. People say to me all the time, now I'm talking about my forgiving heart toward my friend and my neighbors, uh, my family, uh, different people, things like that. Let me just tell you something. People ask me all the time, well, how can you be the ninja pastor and be willing to take out ISIS by yourself uh, you know, you come against my family, you come against those I love, my puppy, you come against any of that, oh, you'll be dealt you'll be dealt with harshly and completely and finally. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying this is where people a lot of times will cling to this and say pacifism is what we're called to, and it's absolutely not the case. Remember what I said in the past week, conqueror. How many times do you hear conqueror? You know, he rewards the conqueror. Only the conquerors will, will have that meal with him in heaven. In order to conquer, you have to fight. This isn't talking about that. This is talking about a conflict with your brother or your friend. I'm not saying that you need to yield to a toxic relationship, even with a family member. You may say, hey, I, I can't be around you. I just can't be around you. You ever be with such an acerbic person, such a such a negative person that they just bring you down they make you sick to your stomach you say man i can't let me tell you something if you're dealing with a serious illness you can attest to this and many in here have dealt with very serious illnesses you can't be around people who are negative nellies you just can't you got to say you got to stop them when they're when they start going on their negative rant and you got to say hey if you can't bring positive don't come 
You know what? That might be your father. That might be your mother. That might be your sister. It might actually be your best friend. You have to say, listen, if you're going to be of any value to me during this major challenge in my life, you're going to either have to change your approach or change your location because I can't have you here. Too big of a challenge. I learned the opportunity for answered prayer comes long before the first words are uttered in my most reverent voice. It must first be sung in my penitent heart. Who am I to tell God anything? This is Steer talking again about Muller. What hinders God to make of one so vile as I am? Another Whitfield that out of my belly may flow rivers of water. Knowing my place and condition before not only God, but before men is pivotal in embracing humility sufficient to warrant God's listening ear. How can I be so arrogant and think that I warrant his ear? Why would he listen to someone who thinks themselves so self-important, so self-important that you've got to listen to me? I must understand that it is only by Christ's love and providence that I wake another day to see the morning light. If you face death as many times as I have, you know that every day that you wake up is only by God's grace. The answers to prayer often come when our prayer does not involve words. I heard it said, but I don't know to whom I should attribute this saying, so I would attribute it. Uh, if I knew it, but pray without ceasing and when necessary, use words. I don't know who said it, but I've heard a thousand people say it and they never say who said it. They always say it like they said it. They're the first one, so I don't know. I'm not the first one, I'll admit to that. But it's true. Pray without ceasing and when necessary, use words. I am one who speaks too often and listens too little. I'll admit that to you. I speak too often and I listen too little. During the course of prayer, we often miss the answer to our prayers because we never shut up long enough do you hear the answers we seek? Do you ever be like that? Pray, 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 pray. And then you don't listen. I do it all the time. They always say type A personalities, they pray both sides of the prayer. They handle it for God because, you know, God talks too slow. The answer may take an, a form of another method or means of, of answering than we thought we wanted or needed or even that we asked for. Sometimes the answer for our prayer, the answer to our prayer, comes in a totally different way. It comes in a totally different place. And we think, you didn't answer my prayer. I wish sometimes God in his biggest voice would say, oh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Aren't you looking? But I speak too often. I speak too long and I don't shut up. So I'll shut up here shortly. The answer may take another form or method. Have you ever prayed, 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 prayed for a job or a relationship or to get a certain house or whatever and you didn't get it, that thing didn't come through and then you drive by that house in a few years and you're like, there's cars up on blocks, there's, you know, 3,000 beer cans all up in the yard, the grass is eight feet tall, you know, and you're like, did I ever dodge a bullet there? You know, the neighbor to the house you were wanting to buy, and now they're dealing with, they come out of their house like, oh, not again. Or the spouse, maybe. 
oh God, just let me date this person. Let me, let me marry this person. And it didn't happen. Despite your pray, 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 never shut up. Pray, 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 never shut up. Got the microphone right up to your mouth. You've turned it all the way up. God, aren't you listening? A couple years later, you see that person is married, and you know, even though you didn't see a bit of it, they're nagging the crap out of their spouse. They're they're angry all the time. They're, you know, they're unhappy. Yeah, because they weren't married to me. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Yet, despite this, God finds a way. He finds the way to our need and really beyond. It could, it could be successfully argued that if you have a real relationship with God, He finds that way to your real need. Even the times that you don't know your need, you're praying for an entirely different thing. You think you need, you think you want, you think has to happen or you're just going to die. And then God provides. And have you ever looked back and gone, you are awesome, God. Thank you for protecting me from that. Thank you for, for protecting me from myself. A close relationship with God is often unwrapped in silent study of His Word, quiet contemplation of His will and way for our life. I ask myself this, does my life evidence a yielded, faithful, and patient heart toward God? Is it a testimony sufficient for God to use for His purpose? I've had countless people say, I've got a boring testimony. Or I don't have a testimony. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't get it twisted. Everybody's got a testimony. The question is, have you yielded? Have you surrendered? Have you had a patient heart toward God? And if you have, He'll give you that testimony sufficient for His purpose. There's no greater story than no, I wasn't a drug addict. No, I wasn't robbing houses at the age of three. I wasn't in rehab at the age of seven. I, I you know, I didn't wasn't doing hard time at the age of twelve, and you know, I I wasn't a gun runner. I wasn't a drug dealer. You know, I didn't have you know seventy five girlfriends. I was just a regular, regular, regular person. I was screwed up. I had a lot of problems. And then I met Jesus. And He met me. And for the first time in my life, I took the brakes off. I unhinged my feet from this earth. And I entered into an experience, quite frankly, I just can't explain. The question is, am I quiet enough to hear His voice? Where do I start in prayer if I really intend to honor God and my pleas? Yancey, I'm telling you, you got to read him in another of his great books. It occurs to me, thinking about prayer, that most of the time I get the direction wrong. I talked about this a second ago. I get the direction wrong. I start downstream with my own concerns and I bring them to God and I inform God as if God didn't already know. I plead with God as if hoping to change God's mind and overcome divine reluctance. Instead, I should start upstream where the flow begins. 
This means two things to me. I'm almost at the end. Hang in there. First is, it, it, it means to seek first the kingdom of God in that His will is perfect. It would be prudent to seek that path first before clearing our own path. Before you start cutting trees in your path and whacking away and you know getting all sweaty with working to cut the trees out of your life, ask God, is this the way to go? Is this what you have for me? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You see, His will is perfect. Second, instead of searching for my own solution to a problem, I should search, what's the first thing I should search for to a problem? My solution or His solution? I should always seek His solution through His word, through His will, and through His way. Given these few examples of what I've learned about God answering prayer, I, I could fill hours. You all know I could talk for hours. You know it could happen. I could fill hours with countless examples of His loving answers to my imprudent prayers. Sometimes God does answer pedantic, silly prayers. Sometimes He does. And He does it in a loving, instructive way. I could give you hours of examples. I could give you examples, just hours of examples of my childlike prayers huddled in a corner in the dark of a dark, lonely room. Prayers I prayed out of fear. You know, as I age and hopefully mature, I ask for His grace to shine on me, and with trepidation I add, Teach me, O God, that I may know You. My intuition tells me one thing. That this, in and of itself, is an answer to prayer.